Hi, y'all. This is Day and Airy with Winchell Time. Thank you for joining us again. Woohoo! I'm so <laughs> excited about this. Um, so this intro is going to be super quick. Uh, we're including the full Mark Yusko interview that we did last week. And pretty excited to present it to you guys. I am so excited about this one. It was so good. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I was I was kind of nervous, and so uh, that you, people might be able to hear my nervousness. In no, my voice, I could not tell at all. I mean, literally, tell. no, I didn't tell. You did really great. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so yeah, Mark Yusko is a very uh, prominent voice in the uh, crypto Twitter, or shall we say, Bitcoin Twitter world. Mm-hmm. So I'll just do go ahead and do the Satoshi math right now. Today's Monday, August fifth, twenty nineteen, about one twenty p.m. I checked a little while ago on my Blockfolio app for the price of Bitcoin. Bitcoin trading at $11,788. Nice. So it did hold up through the weekend. It was a really, really interesting um, Everything's crashing weekend. except for Bitcoin. Yeah, today was the, uh, at one point, the low was like nine, low was like negative uh, 936 points on the Dow trading this morning. So it was a pretty wild trading day. I would call it a bloodbath day. It's like the lowest of 2019 across many different fronts, right? I believe Even so. the Chinese yuan is on a low. Well, that that was part of the uh, trade you know, rars, yeah. Yeah. So, um, not to delay too much. So, you divide the one dollar, uh, one U.S. dollar fiat by point zero zero one one seven eight eight, which is the eleven thousand seven hundred eighty eight dollars, and you get eight thousand four hundred four hundred eighty three satoshis. So, stack sats with Satoshi math is harder because uh, above ten thousand dollars. For one dollar, you get ten thousand sats. Right. But for every dollar it goes up above ten thousand dollars, you get, less, you get sats. less sats. Exactly. I'm starting to get it. Yes. It only took like two and a half <laughs> months or something. <laughs> two and a half months of Satoshi <laughs> math. Exactly. So, um, and then, uh, so quick introduction of myself. My name is Day again, and I was a sales engineer working on wide area networks for a couple of decades, really long time, and uh, I was servicing enterprises. Uh, who wanted to build their own private, regional, national, and international networks based on internet technology, and then also those same very large enterprises wanting to get very high-speed, fast internet connections. And hi, y'all. I'm Ari. Uh, I've had a couple careers. I'm mostly a creative artist uh, and musician, and then I went into the world of management consulting for uh, a little bit over a decade. And then I've been in the world of startups and investing, uh, and most recently in blockchain. I'm the uh, chair of the Cascadia Blockchain Council, powered by the WTIA, which is the Washington Technology Industry Association. It's the largest technology association in the United States with over 1,100 member companies. We provide one collective voice for all the technology companies from Portland up to Vancouver. And on the Blockchain Council, it's all very focused on blockchain partnering with uh, the policymakers and the investors and the innovators. And so the trifecta working together to create the new future. Awesome. Awesome. Because it's hard to really do anything really, really big. And when it comes to a transformative evolutionary technology like blockchain, there's a lot of um, unknowns with respect to legislation and policy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's really, really important that we work shoulder to shoulder and really, really be proactive about it. Exactly. Okay. So uh, without too much further ado, um, I think uh, I think Ari had a couple of other thoughts with respect to the Mark Yusko interview because we're trying to we're trying to kind of mix it up a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of podcasts out there. It's a very, very sharing 
world that we're in yeah. when it comes to Bitcoin and crypto and, and blockchain. And, you know, so, you know, we're trying to put our own little twist onto it. So, you know, there's a lot of investing chat, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of, uh, you know, the, there's a decent amount of personal chat, too, uh, in the in the conversation that we had. Right. And so what we're trying to do, I mean, you'll see in the style that Day and I have been doing, we're being very inclusive and authentic and also sharing all aspects of our lives, you know, including the parenthood and the uh, career and the uh, the investing and the money. And I mean, you've even seen us get a little bit tense on the podcast because, you know, that's <laughs> life, right? Yeah. And so we think, you know, when you look at investors and people that are very prominent, like Mark Yusko, very often when they're interviewed, they're only looked at uh, from one perspective, their investment and their 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 skill and their craft well their whole their whole other lives are being hidden and so we're really interested in you know what makes marcus go marcus go you know is what how does he eat how does he read you know, what's his family <laughs> life like? like you know all the things that make him the very special man he is and so that's the opportunity that we bring uh in that kind of interview uh, we're going to roll the reading of the disclosures disclaimers with dom from coin me again as usual and then it's time to hear the full interview by yep. Mark Yusko. It's, yeah. a, it's a little bit of a long one, but I think if you're hanging on to the end, there's some uh, interesting twists that you won't uh, hear other <laughs> places um, brought to you by our dear Ari here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right. So let's roll, Dom. Thanks a lot. And then it'll go straight into the interview after that. All right. Thanks. Hi, y'all. This is Dom from CoinMe, or you might know me from The Blockchain Minute, your daily show for the most important story on the blockchain. None of the statements or opinions expressed in this podcast by the guest or its host is to be taken as financial advice or a solicitation of any kind to participate in a conservative or risky or speculative financial instrument that may or may not require accredited investor status as defined by either the Security and Exchange Commission of the United States of America or independent thought and rational thinking from the laws of humanity. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that the hosts, Arian Day, and their guests are not financial advisors of any kind, but only humans and not sentient intergalactic alien life forms. All statements made in this podcast by any living or dead or unborn or zombie or robotic entity in the past, present, or future of the space-time continuum of this known universe are purely ironic or coincidental thoughts and opinions. Moments of sarcasm, sadness, education, glee, entertainment, or any other emotion that may be found in this podcast are fully your responsibility and reaction that may or may not be intended for the listener in any way, shape, or form. Mature adult discretion is strongly advised. Thank you for listening. Two years ago. Oh, that's and how we, you and Pop met. Yes, how oh, we met. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. Both, we both invested in a uh, later stage deal. We didn't spend much time, 15, 20 minutes. And then about a year later, I started following him on Twitter. And I was like, 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 like. like I would have said that. I, I did say that. It's like, I said it was like talking to myself. Mm. I was a younger, better looking version of myself. <laughs> but I said, I got to meet him. And when I met him, Instant. Right. It was like, and being around him and the group of people who are all much younger than me is energizing. So that's a big mm. part of where the energy comes from. Plus, I, I love this. I mean, I think, I really do believe this is one of the technological evolutions or revolutions of our lifetime. 
right. and uh, can't get excited about it. I don't know why not. Yeah. 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 I, I was really, really happy to see that you used the word evolution instead of yes. revolution because yes. it really is the natural evolution. Like, uh, I've been in digital forever too myself. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, thank you first for sitting down with us, uh, realizing that your time is uh, very valuable and, you know, you're traveling all over the place. So greatly appreciate you sitting down with us with uh, for the podcast. Yeah. yeah we're, we're so tickled at the opportunity. <laughs> no, great yeah. to be here and, and great to spend time with people who are in the business and say I've been in digital for a long time and lots of success and it's always fun for me. I have some questions. Okay. Do you have questions? No, why don't you, why don't you start? I mean, um, um, well, I guess I'll just go ahead and kick it off with the question about payments. Can so I'm really that? big into I'm, the idea of uh, payments. Uh, payments being, uh, I mean, when people, when you sit down and think about where payments are in the world, I mean, it, it's every single freaking transaction that you do is a payment. Yes. And so, um, what are your thoughts on, I guess, how we get to um, more blockchain or more Bitcoin in the world of payments? Yeah, look, I think you're exactly right that um, one of the biggest use cases potentially uh, for for blockchain technology and for cryptocurrencies in particular is medium exchange and payments. Mm -hmm. The challenge is uh, in designing uh, cryptocurrencies, you have a choice, right? You can have speed or security you know blockchain chose security it's the most secure blockchain in the world um, but they're not going to be fast so you have to think of it i think like protocol layers is we're going to have base layers and then we're going to have second and third layers and so whether it's lightning network or other uh, off-chain transaction settlement protocols that will how that's how we'll get the speed Um, and so what i think is just so funny it's it's this uh, relationship of of potential to capacity or capability, you know. Think of a nine-year-old. You know, how much capability they have versus how much capacity do they have, and how much would you have paid <clears throat> to have all the future earnings of LeBron James when he was nine years old? <laughs> right, that would have been a good trade. Yeah. Um, and so I think the same thing is true of, of Bitcoin. You know, it's ten years old, and it's still in its infancy in terms of development. So look, whether it's um, bringing M-Pesa, which is one of the biggest payment systems in the world, which is, think about it, cell phone minutes mm. being bartered all over, you know, Africa uh, on Silicon Savannah and Nigeria, not Nigeria, and uh, Nairobi, Kenya. <clears throat> that, that will develop uh, into new systems and, and new ways of, of payment. I think the challenge for payments, um, or the thing to overcome, is the uh, first mover advantage that some of the Chinese companies like WeChat Pay and Alipay have, and even PayPal. Although you know WeChat Pay did more transactions in January than PayPal did last year. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I think it's it's a great use case, something we should all be focused on. But I think it's going to go to this layered building. Right, right. So still, yeah. So we still got a little ways to go before it's going to really hit uh, high momentum. I think yeah. so. Okay. I think I think we're okay. we're at the well, that's what I love about this opportunity is people say, oh, you know, it's the end and the bubbles burst. I'm like, no, it's like Churchill said, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. It might be the end of the beginning, right? So we might be entering the fourth inning, you know, of a Mariners game, but uh, All right. no, plenty of time, plenty of time. Outstanding. Um, so what was the two? You said capacity and... Uh, capability. Of an, and capability. capability. Yeah. 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 So... <laughs> 
uh, kids. You know, it's like we're we're kind of new parents, and yeah. so I go to you know the experiences that I have with my first son. He's three and a half, so that awesome. directly makes me think the the capability versus capacity. He will actually uh, recite with me every other verse of a book called Cars Galore. And he's not even looking at the book. Right? I'm just right. calling out the first line. Right. And he just blurts out the second well, line. And think and we of that and in terms of a capability. Right, right, right. That we all marvel at. But his capacity it's to massive, recite yeah. Shakespeare from memory 10 years <laughs> from now in middle school. Because it, you know, it used to be high school. When I was at Blanchett right. High School, they made us do it. Now it'll be in middle school. Maybe it'll be in grade school. Um, you know, I think my son was doing genetics in sixth grade. I didn't do that till you know sophomore year of biology. <laughs> so everything's faster, but but the capability and the potential is is so high. And and the thing with with digital youth, uh, people who are raised in the digital age, that that capability is so augmented because they've got the world's information mm-hmm. at their fingertips. Right. I mean, I watch my eight year old. So I have older kids, thirty and twenty eight, and then the little guy who's eight. And I look at him, and not that he's any smarter than the older kids, but his, his knowledge set and his toolkit is so much greater. And the things that he has at his disposal that he can use, and he, he devours things in a mm-hmm. way that they couldn't or I couldn't for sure, right. because they didn't have the same toolkit. Right. So it's, and you're three and a, whole, three and a half year olds, another order of magnitude. And the great thing about exponential growth that again, humans have a hard time dealing with. <laughs> we all think we linearly. Uh-huh. We can't do exponential growth. We can't do S-curves. We can't do, how is it possible a three-and-a-half-year-old can be reciting? I don't remember doing that until I was eight. Or, you know, <laughs> so it's, everything happens faster, and that's good, because the human mind, we only use, what, 10, 10% of it. Right. The, right. Uh, the other trick that he does nowadays um, is that uh, we have this little book of Korean um, jingles for kids. He's he can't read you know Korean at all, so we're Korean American, you know, second generation. Mm-hmm. But um, he will also do the same thing with these Korean jingles, where I just play the music. He's you know he music can't speak is the Korean most at all. incredible thing for memory. Again, when I was growing up, there's a thing right. called America Rock or Schoolhouse Rock. Oh yeah, I love that. And, you know, I'm just a bill. I'm only a bill. I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill or Conjunction Junction. And those jingles stay with you forever. Yeah. And it's it's why we use mnemonics. You know, you got the whole thing with, um, you know, that that um, mathematical equation on the internet now with the parentheses and oh, you yeah, know, PEDMAS yeah, yeah. versus BODMAS, yeah. and you know, it depends the order of operations that you learned and which mnemonic you used and which you think goes first, and all those things are are learning tools. But music and smells, like if I smell a crayon, it's like I'm sitting at my grandmother's table over near the Seattle Tennis Club to this day. If I smell a crayon, I am sitting yeah. in Madrona. I mean, and, you know, that's... Well, that's a good segue into the uh, reprogramming that you're, you've been doing lately. Well, do you want to talk you about know? that? Um, I thought you might be okay with it. <laughs> we can cut that out. <laughs> well, we can talk about it, but just to give you yeah. context. Um, so um, I'm going through PTSD therapy right now. I've been doing it for six months now, three months before the child was born to give me the uh, mental foundation frameworks wow. so that we were protecting our child from any of the stresses that I had engulfed. 
And then now oh. that the child has been born, we've been actually going through the uh, trauma therapy. Cool. And so we've been learning, um, just learning mm. about how you reframe like a really, really bad traumatic incident. And, you know, I'll be like tears crying, talking about the experience. And then we'll start talking about, well, what if, what if we swabbed up this person for this person? Or who would have been the ideal person mm -hmm. to have in the room mm -hmm. at that time during that point of trauma? And I go, blah, blah, blah. And then we'll like, uh, do a thought experiment going through like the the bad situation reframed with that new person in the room and what oh, might have happened and then you get some more insights and then that bad incident becomes like oh a learning lesson in life well yeah, I think it's, it's fantastic because I think the biggest difference um, you know so my wife and I thought we were gonna have four kids we had two no more and and the funny part of the story is so say to the doctor, why not? He says, well, that's the funny thing. You check out fine. She checks out fine. You're just one of the 5% we can't explain. I said, wait, wait, doc. <laughs> Mathematically, that means in 20 years, something could happen. And I was off by one year. And so 19 years later, something happened. And, but what's interesting is, is we're way better parents with him than we were the first time, not intentionally, but just because we're older and more calm. If you can be calm. So what you're doing, I think, is so fantastic to be proactive about kind of putting that past in the past and, and being able to be more calm with the child because we've noticed it in spades is that we're much better at dealing with stuff, right? You have a little more financial security. You've actually done it. First child, you don't even know what you're doing. You don't even know how to be it's married. terrifying. Right? It's terrifying. But if you have someone or something helping you, I think that's fantastic. So, And, and I have real-life experience that says, if because I'll, I'll see it in him as, as as we start to get more nervous and we escalate he gets more agitated and one time he came up to me put his hands up and he said your words are bumping into each other what whoa he's four years old four years old our words were like yes they are and we will de-escalate and he de-escalated and everything was good so it's uh calm is really good for everybody yeah, actually, my our son will be like, "Mommy, do you need a hug?" There like, you go. Yes. I love it. I <laughs> and love then he'll it. be like, "Let's do over. Let's start over. Do over." Yeah, like and I'm it. like, "Oh, great! My he's using all the techniques on me." I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. And I think also as um, leaders or people that are uh, more influencers later in life, um, we carry a lot of baggage with us. You know, like relationship to relationship, mm -hmm. um, job to job, and so. If and when you can make that opportunity to kind of clean yourself of that baggage so that you can really start fresh and new, um, I think it's something that's really... Always. If you can get good. rid of the tapes of childhood, you're much better off. Because <laughs> right. most people get ruined by them. Yes. And they can't get rid of them. And they just they plug in tape 17 and they listen to it. And they listen that you know they didn't work hard enough or they disappointed their parents or they had that bad outcome or they had the bully picking on them. If you're haunted by that, it, it's bad. Did and you see Molly's game? <gasps> yes. So oh at the end, yeah. when Kevin Costner, they're sitting on the bench, and he's like, okay, I'm going to distill four years of therapy down into four minutes. Exactly. That was phenomenal. Exactly. <laughs> I know, exactly. I love four years and four minutes. And she minutes. just asked the exact questions also. I mean, right. that, that he knew that she really needed to know in an existential you know, situation and, and have some sort of closure to yes. it in order to move on. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Great, yeah. great example. <laughs> wow. So then I kind of want to segue into health. So you talked a little sure. bit about health um, at the end of we the month. We talked about Beyond Meat. <laughs> oh, my God. We bought it at $80.70, and then yesterday I was like, honey, sell. Sell now. Good sell for now. You. Because this Good is too easy. How is 
is a share of Beyond Meat at $234 worth more than like Facebook or worth Microsoft or like any of these giant companies. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. No, know. it's crazy. It, it, it is the <laughs> second craziest valuation I've ever seen. And full disclosure, right? I mean, we, we were early investors. We're seed round investors oh, and wow. we've made over a hundred times our money oh and, and I'm really happy about that and power venture capital, yeah. power venture capital, but yeah. we're really happy. And um, the thing about it is that, um, you know, it's got limited float and there are a lot of people trying to short it because the valuations are stupid and short squeezes are, are very painful in the short run, but you're, you're smart to sell and take your profits. Uh, Bernard Baruch had a great line. He said, I made all my money by selling too soon. Right, right. So, yeah, so she was really into it, uh, the idea, because she grew up vegan. And so mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, so we're, we're plankton, you know, angel investors. We're like the food for the sharks and the whales and everybody. Right? <laughs> we're plankton. <Love> <laughs> and so, um, you know, I was like, well, you know, let's treat it like an angel check, you know. It's like 10K, so we can write 10K checks. Mm-hmm. And so I said, uh, let me know when you buy, want to buy it. And we'll just kind of play like that. Mm-hmm. And so I try to do a, a, a tiered entry. So I yeah. only bought, you know, I think like 6000 out of the 10000 mm-hmm. I said, well, we'll just, you know, get yeah. the rest yeah, of yeah, later on. Yeah, yeah. And, the next and then day it just was, kept on yeah. going and going and going. Yeah. And next thing we know, it's like $240 of it. Yeah. Well, the interesting um, thing about it is, look, people have this perception that it's it's good for you because it's not meat. And it's because that's what they've been told, right? They've been told that saturated fat is bad for you, even though there's no evidence that it is. And, you know, there's no evidence that statins actually have any efficacy at all, but it's a multi-billion dollar industry, and the mm. pharma companies want us to keep buying statins. Yeah. So I think it's it's not a bad thing to have other foods beyond hamburgers or sausages or bacon. The thing I, I, I don't like about it is is there are some some things in the manufacturing process that um, are a little dicey, seed oils in particular, which are not good for you, and that's, mm. that's been proven. Um, but I thought there was an interesting comment today. He said the, uh, the FDA said that the protein used in Impossible Meats, which is the other one beyond, beyond Meat, right. Impossible mm. Foods, uh, that it, it doesn't look toxic. That's not a high endorsement. It doesn't look toxic. <laughs> so uh, I think there's a lot of work to be done on that. And um, But on, on the bigger picture of health, you know, my, my big thing is health is wealth. It's actually a hashtag on Twitter, health is wealth. Because I, I believe nothing else in life matters if you're not healthy. Right. You know, if you're sick, if you're struggling, if you're injured, if you're dealing with, you know, chronic uh, maladies – you can't focus, you can't work, you can't, you can't earn a living, you can't have relationships, everything mm-hmm. suffers. And so uh, focusing on that, and, and one of the things I heard a long time ago, which I, I think is really cool, is they said, why is it that people never run out of gas, right? They don't exercise, they don't eat right, you know, they do all these things that, that are the equivalent of getting gas in your car, like, you know, recharging your body and meditating and eating good food and People let that get way away from them, get in bad health, but they never run out of gas. Well, it's because the consequences are immediate. If you run out of gas, your car stops and you're done, right? So you find the 10 minutes to go gas up your car whenever you need to or charge your car if you have electric. But the key is that it's the immediacy, whereas with your health... You gain a few pounds, no big deal. Your cholesterol grows up, no big deal. Your you know, blood sugar, insulin response is bad, no big deal. But it is a big deal. And you just don't see it immediately. And so if there was like a, an empty light on you, 
you would make, can you never find time? We don't find time. We make, make time. time. We yes. make time for what yes. we prioritize. Mm -hmm. And if we prioritize anything, right? right, family time, you know, I have this thing, you know, I'm home. If I'm in town, which I won't be tonight, I'll fly home with a red eye, but if I'm home, I am home for dinner. And now at 8 o'clock when he goes to bed, I may have to work for another four hours, right. but I'm home with him for those two hours. That's a choice, right? I mean, I've, I've had people yell at me, like, what do you mean you're leaving? I'm like, I'll come back or I'll call you later, but this is important. So, and I used to not be good at, at exercise and, and diet. I was going to say, so I don't know how you, you look so fit. Oh, because. With when, all the okay, travel. When did, you, <laughs> when did you have the turnaround? No, it's a great, it's, a, it's yes. the epiphany. So, um, if you look at my pictures, when I was growing up here in, in uh, Seattle, I was rotund, husky jeans <laughs> from Sears. Um, and when I moved away, I, I was a little better. I, I did, you know, do sports and stuff. But but I, I look at my early wedding pictures, uh, I was a little soft. So when we got pregnant, well, when my wife got pregnant with the third child uh, nine years ago, she gave me a gym membership, which I could take one of two ways. You're a fat, you know what, <laughs> go do something. Or, hey, I want you around with me to take care of this kid because... You know, when he graduates from college, we'll be 70, which is okay, because that's the new 50. Mm. It's the new mm -hmm. 50. Um, <laughs> and the key was that... Grandpa dads. My grandpa dads. <laughs> we were grandpa dads. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, look, I was at the um, the putt-putt the other night with, with my 8-year-old and this little girl, and he were doing hula hoop, and she looks over and says, you know, so why is your granddad... <laughs> Like, he says, no, that's my dad, very defiantly. Like, and he does say, Dad, your, your hair's still black in the back. <laughs> but, but the thing is, with my travel schedule, today's a perfect example, um, I was only getting to gym once a week. Turns out that doesn't help. And so a friend of mine in California, um, who actually used to work up here at a venture firm called Voyager, hey. uh, gave me a disc called P90X. And P90X is this uh, set of DVDs uh, mm -hmm. that you watch in your basement and you do body weight exercises, push-ups and sit-ups and little hand weight stuff and changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. And it's, it's a 90-day thing. And what's cool about it, it's the same thing about everything in life. It's decide, commit, succeed. So you decide to do it. Mm -hmm. The average person drops out of their health commitment 17 days in. Okay? Yeah, yeah. You have to do something for 18 days to make it a habit. Everyone drops before the 18th day. So it's 30 days. You decide you have to commit to do it for 30 days. The problem is in that first 30 days, nothing happens, right? You're still hurt. You're still in pain. Nothing. Mm -hmm. you, see no, you see no evidence. Then you have to commit for the second 30 days. Now you're starting to see some change. And if you make it through the last 30 days, the 90 days, since P90X, actually changed my life and so that was the beginning of it and and that got me from out of shape to better shape and then since then I've done some some different things and you know last year a friend of mine shamed me into running uh, a half marathon with him which I had never done and I learned two things I will never do a marathon but I might do another half um, but I will never do a marathon but the, uh, uh, the power of habit that book for me was yes. transformative. Yes. Transformative. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because it, it really just broke it down into stories. Mm -hmm. Stories are really, really impactful. Yes. And then example after example after example. And so now when I try to 
adopt something, uh, I term it as I, I'm trying really hard to get that into my habit loop. Perfect. You know? So, it. like, I just got to do that, and then it'll be with me. But until then, it's going to be hard. <laughs> like, if it's not a habit, yeah. then it's an annoyance and a nuisance, <laughs> and, it, and it's taking time from other things that you want to be doing. And, you know, when they say self-discipline is doing what you should do before what you want to do, mm-hmm. which I'm really bad about, actually. <laughs> um, but discipline, they, you know, that's the other thing they say, they, whoever they is, um, you can suffer the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. And ah. discipline comes to habit, and, and habit comes to commitment. Right. And deciding to do something is one thing. We all decide all the time. It's like people say, I've quit smoking seven times. Yeah. <laughs> How's that possible? No, it's not <laughs> yeah. possible. Right? You never quit. So, um, or I, you know, I, I, I would, I have dieted, you know, seventeen times. No, <laughs> you never committed to it. You decided to do it, but you didn't commit. And that commitment, and that's true of, of anything, whether it's health, whether it's wealth. You know, commitment and discipline is how people get wealthy, right? They commit mm-hmm. to habits. They rebalance. They take profits like you did on, you know, they don't, <laughs> they don't get into hope, right? George Soros says, the reason I'm rich is because I admit my mistakes faster than other people. Right, right. The average person, right, they pull their flowers. As soon as they make a little money, they, they pull it out of the ground and they water their weeds. They say, well, I'm right and the market's wrong. It goes down and they Probably. buy more. They yeah. double down. No, 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 you should never double down you should double up. Right. And you know, I've, I've been very lucky in my life. My, my mentor in investing was Julian Robertson. And that was because he was a UNC grad. I worked at UNC and we had a big investment with Tiger. And he took a shine to me and, and I glommed onto it. And I, I spent every minute I could with him. And, and I've been lucky in, in life in that I got to spend time with Julian. But more importantly, I invested with all the people that spun out of Tiger and formed hedge funds. And I've interviewed all of them. I keep these notebooks of, I should probably put it in a book someday, but um, <laughs> all of these notes on what made Julian a great investor. And they would say the usual stuff. You know, he believes in, in commitment and he has high integrity. I mean, this is a guy who went through customs once with a pair of shoes on and sent them a check. Like most people lie about what they bring through customs. He actually sent them a check because wow. he forgot. <laughs> but he has perfect integrity and, and he's hugely competitive and he wants to win he hates to lose all the things but the thing that really separated him was that he had the uncanny ability to double up right. and when he was wrong he was wrong right. and right. he would get cut out. your losses cut yeah. your losses yeah. and the first loss is the best loss right. and hope I say this all the time hope is not an investment strategy it is a four letter word right? I've learned I've learned so well, all the mistakes by making of course. all the mistakes. Oh, it's like the thing about investing, you yeah. can't learn from other people's mistakes. Right. You must make them yourself. You must feel the pain in your gut. But learning, right? So this was Dean Smith from, from UNC, the famous coach, oh, Ralph. Yeah. Okay. Recognize the mistake, admit the mistake, learn from it, and most important, forget it. Right. Because what separates great anything, great investors, great musicians, great anything, okay, from the rest, is the average person focuses on the last play. Mm. The greats focus on the next play mm. or the next investment. So, you know, how many times have you seen a basketball player miss a shot, go down and commit a stupid foul? A great player misses a shot, has instant erasure, doesn't even remember taking the shot, okay, goes back, plays good defense, steals the ball, makes a layup. A great investor or an average investor has a loss, and what do they do? They compound the loss by doubling down. Right? A great investor cuts his losses 
finds another good idea because they always have good ideas. Yeah. And you know, one thing I, I hate about Twitter. So I, I love Twitter, and I, and I, I, <laughs> I, mean, I love Twitter, and I'm I'm literally addicted to Twitter. My wife will respond, you know, remind me that I am. She's laughing because yeah. she's scolded me and so no, many no, times. And, and, and I love it. And I love it because it does a number of things. It's given me this incredible global network. It's introduced me to people. I mean, I've met, you know, I met the president of two big banks in Greece because I posted a picture that I was in Athens and someone said, hey, you want to meet with the bank presidents? I'm like, yes. So good things happen. I got this great network. I can try out ideas. I get instant feedback when I have an idea. People hate it. it people be like it. Yeah. What I love is if people hate my idea, I do lots of it. Okay? When people love my idea, I stop doing it. Because when the consensus loves something, don't do it. When everybody hates it, it's a good idea. Mm. But the key is that what I hate about Twitter is that um, – oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. What were we, talk, <laughs> we were talking about um, make great investors. Great investors. Uh, cutting losses. Cutting losses. Yeah. So um, – I actually had a riff off of the uh, yeah. basketball thing. So apparently, uh, Kobe Bryant, um, his coach, um, had so much confidence in him because I think I think the story was that it wasn't about it wasn't about him necessarily being able to guarantee points. It was more about I see so much mental strength in him that he's willing to take a chance to take that buzzer shot at the end, miss. Mm-hmm. And then come back the next game and do it again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Winners it's want like, the ball. Winners right. always want the ball. You know, Michael Jordan says, you know, I've been trusted to take the final shot, you know, 700 times and I've missed half of them. Oh, that's what I was going to say. The thing I hate about Twitter is what I love about Twitter is a micro blog, right? I put stuff out there and my wife reminds me I'm occasionally <laughs> wrong, never in doubt, but... And she says, you can't say things so for like that. I'm like, what do you mean? She says, you always say things so forcefully. I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? She says, people will believe you. I was like, that's kind of the idea. But she says, well, you might be wrong. I'm like, I don't care. I'm wrong all the time. And what people do on Twitter is they call you out for being wrong. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's why you're a bad investor. Because if you're worried about being wrong, then you're paralyzed and you never invest. Right. You never money. do anything. Scared money. Yeah. And so great investors are wrong a lot. In fact, they're wrong more than bad investors. Right. But when they're wrong, they cut. And George Soros, again, Stan Druckenmiller say it, it's not whether you're right or wrong. It's how much money you make when you're right and how much money you lose when you're wrong. And so I want to have something that holds me accountable. I want people to say, hey, you made a bad decision. Yes, I did. And I learned from it. And I forgot it. And now I'm on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the one thing that really drives me crazy is when people say, well, Six years ago, you said this, and it didn't happen. So now I don't believe you on this. Like, but they're unrelated. <laughs> they're just totally unrelated. You have to judge the quality of this idea or recommendation or thesis on its merits, and either accept it or reject it. And you know, I was having a conversation before lunch today. Someone said, you know, so you have all this great data, and yet the market keeps going up. Why does it keep going up? Well, I said, technically, it's almost the same price it was 18 months ago. So it's really not up a lot in the last 18 months. And 18 months ago is kind of when I said it was really toppy at 2,800. And right. that would be the top. And then we'd have a crash. And we did have a 20% correction. And then the plug protection <laughs> team came in. And, yeah. you know, we've got a lot of buybacks like Apple. Mm-hmm. You know, Apple's got the same earnings as four years ago. But 20% increase in earnings per share. And people fall for it. That's stupid. Why are you falling for that? <laughs> I was shocked that it's up today. I yeah. mean, it's, but, it's but the thing about it is. All of it comes to 
we're in a time where there's lots of uncertainty mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people that they're not comfortable where they're positioned because they don't have a lot of conviction. And that's logical. How could you have conviction buying Beyond Meat at over a hundred times sales? <laughs> Forget a hundred times earnings, which okay. you're going to lose money. A hundred times sales, that stock could fall 95% and still be overvalued. And it would still be a huge home run from the original investment. But it's things happen when we get to these crazy periods, like 2000, which was the craziest. This is the second craziest. 1929 was the third craziest. That's not good company, right? That's not where you want to be. So you got to find something mm-hmm. like crypto where it's easy to get excited because we're at the early stages. We're at the earliest stages of Bitcoin wealth accumulation. I mean, my tie today, right? It's gold on one side, Bitcoin on the other. Yeah. It's a little Libra scales. And <laughs> what it says is that at some point, gold as, I mean, uh, Bitcoin as digital gold is going to have the same market cap as gold. Eight trillion bucks. That's $450,000 Bitcoin. At least. Now, at least, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually we're going to go higher yeah. than fair value. Yeah. And we could go to money market accounts. That's $220 billion, trillion, $220 trillion yeah. around the world. Yeah. <laughs> and arguably, I'd rather have my money in Bitcoin than in a bank because you just saw today, UBS just announced they're going to charge their wealthy clients yeah. 75 basis points yeah. to keep yeah. their money at UBS. It's the, it's the uh, tide of more negative interest rates. Yeah, it's wealth yeah. tax. Hey, so I'm, I haven't told this to Ari. Uh-oh. But this trade with Beyond Meats that's gone so well, so we did we got 150 percent back, which is Pretty just great. phenomenal awesome. in Fantastic. less than three months. Fantastic! <laughs> just Don't phenomenal. Get yeah, thank you. So now You're I'm welcome. scared that she's going to be emboldened. Now. I am emboldened. <laughs> okay, no, 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 that no. that trap, you know. No, no. Um, there's a two by two matrix. Let's do a McKinsey two by two matrix. There are decisions, good and bad. There are mm-hmm. outcomes, good and bad. The most dangerous thing in the world. Is what just happened. Right, right. <laughs> bad decision. And I'm not saying it was a bad decision per se, but based on based valuation on numbers, yes. at $80 a yeah. share, it was a bad decision to buy the stock. Based on momentum and other factors, it was a good decision. So we'll put that in the middle. But the worst thing that can happen is a bad decision right. with a good outcome. Uh-huh. And that's usually Vegas, right? right? People make a bet and they win and they go, oh, I'm going to take the house. And then they come back $3,000 poor. Although everyone I've ever met who goes to Vegas wins somehow. It's not true. That's what they tell me. Um, but it's the like loss stay in Vegas. It's a, a loss of stay in Vegas. Oh, is that how it works? I think okay, so. Okay. I think so. But the thing is, what we all want in life is good decisions with good outcomes. But that's really hard. I've generally had really 90% good. great investment decisions. Apple bought at 40. I sold at 80. I was like, 100% return? I'm good. That's so, good. It's but then good. it went on to go multiple. I know, I know. <laughs> but that's what I used to buy it's my okay. condo. My first condo at 26 years old, right, you know? Right. And that's yeah. good, too, because real estate has been a fantastic investment, and you can lever it more. Yeah. I mean, you can lever stocks, too, but no one does. People are very comfortable levering real estate. Mm-hmm. And real assets have been a great investment. Like I said at lunch, you know, the best asset in the last decade has been collectible cars because they're very scarce. Yeah. Scarcity is the key, right? Scarce assets appreciate faster than non-scarce assets. Right, right. And that's why I hate fiat currency. Because <laughs> not only is it not scarce, right. you can make more. Yeah. Sprint, you know, sprint. island real estate always appreciates. Like Bainbridge Island over here. Right. You know? It's awesome. Why is it so awesome? Because you can't make more. Right. There's only so much waterfront. 
Yep. You know, I remember when we lived here many, many, many years ago, we looked at a lot on Lake Washington. Mm. Oh, if only my parents would have bought that lot because mm. it would be worth a lot. Right. And, uh, pun intended. Um, <laughs> the other funny story about that, just real quickly, is uh, my mom, there's a big house, almost as big as Gates, um, on the point outside of Kirkland. Uh, it's this 33,000 square foot house, kind of looks like a castle out on this point. Mm. And my mom was the personal assistant for the guy who built it. And he was a single guy, and he's since passed away, but he, um, he invented contact lenses for chickens. What? Now, they don't make the chickens oh see better, they make them see worse. Wait, contact lenses for chickens? chickens? Yes, because if you put too many chickens in a yard, they'll peck each other to death. So you put the lenses in so they can only see 12 inches, so they can see their food, but they can't see each other, and you can pack them in and get oh, higher wow. profits. Oh, yeah. And he made a gazillion dollars. And so he's building this house, and my mom's his assistant... And everyone's giving him grief. So, well, you know, what do you need a 33,000 square foot house for one person? And that's, that's wasteful. He says, what are you talking about? I employ people. I pay lots of taxes. I make the city better. I improve the roads. I built a private road. Shut up. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's exactly right. Employing people, building community. Right. Yes. And so every, everything always has two perspectives. It's like one of my favorite movies is Vantage Point. Right? So it's the guy where uh, it's a story about a, uh, an assassination and they show four different movies of four different vantage points witnessing mm. the crime. Mm-hmm. And you see totally different stories depending on where you see it. Or there's the picture of uh, Prince William doing this, which looks like three, but from one angle, it looks like he's giving him the finger. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so everybody's like, oh, Prince William's in the finger. He's like, no, he's making the three sign. Because it's going to be three minutes. And, um, uh, so, um, sorry. Well, okay, just keep that thought in your mind, okay? okay. I'm sorry. But this is about you, so oh. you'll like this. <laughs> so, have you found, so this is kind of like a gender, you know, sexist kind of a question. Mm-hmm. Have you found that when women investors get into the game, oh. that when they're good, they somehow are like really, really good Oh, there's data on this. It's not an anecdote. There's, there's data. <laughs> so um, if, you, if you look at the data, and, and what I mean by the data, so there's a couple things. So Terry O'Dean, professor at, at Berkeley School, wrote a uh, paper called Boys Will Be Boys, and he studied 30,000 brokerage accounts, men and women, and the women outperformed the men by over 100 basis points yeah, a year. Yeah. Why? For three reasons. Guys are overconfident. They trade in things they don't know and understand, and they don't have discipline. And women don't trade in things they don't know about and understand. They are very disciplined, and they don't overtrade. And in fact, Fidelity's best-performing accounts aren't women; they're dead people. Huh? The the mythical story, the mythical oh. story yeah. about yeah. the report that was done yeah. on the best accounts, best-performing yeah. accounts, and apparently. They found that out, and then they scuttled it. I think it was downtown Josh yeah, Brown. Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> but the, the reality is the accounts, that story was disproven, but the oh. data says okay. that those accounts that trade the least, I mean, my father-in-law is a broker for UBS. By far his best account is his you know, woman who's mm. 94 years old. Her mm. cost base is ExxonMobil is 33 cents. She's never wow. traded. She's held for, you know, 60, 60 some odd years. Yeah. Or the people who, Long you know, game. bought one share of, I, I tell you, know, Amazon, since we're here in Seattle. So Amazon went public 20 years ago, uh, been a great stock, right? 
Um, but every year that it's been public, it's at a double-digit drawdown. Mm-hmm. Every year. Mm-hmm. The average is 31%. Twice, it went down more than 90 So the only people that have held it since the IPO are Jeff and his mom and dad. <laughs> right? I mean, literally, because everybody sells... The, you know, when it went down 95% in 2001 and two, that was a big thing. And nobody, and everyone thought it was over. Mm-hmm. So, but on this thing, so there's a, there's a great book. In fact, I think the best book ever written on investments called the Dow Jones Averages. And Dow is T-A-O. And it's a merging of Chinese oh, okay. philosophy and investing. And it basically talks about the, one of the differences between guys and gals is right brain, left brain. So guys are much more right-handed, much more left brain, much more analytical, much more backward-looking. We drive looking in the rearview mirror. Women, by and large, not that they're necessarily more left-handed, but they have more right brain creative, and it's called women's intuition for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right? Things that are called something are called that for a reason, right, right. and that's one of them. And so what he talks about is the best investors are whole-brained. They're people who can be right. both analytical and creative and forward thinking. And so um, there you go. One of the reasons <laughs> that that women who do get into the game and who do practice it tend to to be quicker. Now, that doesn't mean that all men are bad. There are plenty of men who are whole brain investors and are really good. Um, doesn't mean that all women are going to be good because there are plenty of women who aren't as right brained and they're very left brained and very mm-hmm. analytical and very militant and that's where we get in trouble. And yeah. there are plenty of people who are arrogant and overconfident and overtrade. Oh, yeah. um, so it <laughs> but but generally speaking, there is data to support the thesis that, that women are good investors. Good, good. I have a good partner then in, in this little venture of ours. Do you remember your question? I have a couple. So Ari like in the podcast people can't see us, but Ari had uh, the biggest shit any green on her face <laughs> while Mark was explaining that so she's enjoying that it's good thank you thank you Absolutely. very much for the word of comments I could use it right now um okay so it seems like you consume a lot of content I mean I was just like astounded <laughs> by the amount of statistics and well, numbers I'm old, that too. you I'm old well, and I do have a good memory old. I have a good memory but um, I do I do no I read a lot like how much? So like, what is your day? You wake up and you read for an hour. You're reading all freaking day on your Twitter, and then you're like clicking links and reading articles. Or like, what does that experience look like? Def- it definitely has changed. Okay. So, uh, in the olden days, I would print lots and lots of letters, uh, manager letters, and research reports, and I would have these stacks, and I would just sit and I would read. I- and I like the old school reading. I like to underline and I like to write <laughs> notes, and because the more senses you experience something the more you're going to remember it. Mm-hmm. And and I'm also a visual learner. I don't forget things that I see. If I hear it, not so much. Like names, I need name tags. I'm glad you have name tags because I've already forgotten people's names when I meet them. <laughs> but if I see it, I remember you know, I had a meeting yesterday in New York and this young woman comes up and she says, nice to meet you. I'm like, no, nice to see you. Like, what? No, we met. I don't remember where, but she says, oh, well, yeah, when I was a student at Wharton, I tracked you down after your speech I'm like yeah because Amy Wong invited me to speech. so that was my classmate I'm like yeah I know because we met um, <laughs> but, and and remember how we met but I do so that I'm a visual learner and and I like to synthesize so I like to draw inferences and conclusions on, on different pieces so I I try to consume lots and lots of content but I don't take anything at just face value because then what I try to do is what I think is the most important thing that that many people don't spend enough time is to actually think. 
And to think, you actually have to spend time alone in solitude. Solitude, in fact, again, I think the best six, seven pages you'll ever read on leadership, something called Solitude and Leadership by... Um, His area is writing Dereswitz. furiously. <laughs> so uh, this is a speech that Dereswitz made to the plebe class at the um, West Point um, uh, inauguration. Yeah, inauguration. And um, not inauguration, that's the president, but like the first day of class for the plebe class. And uh, he basically talks about that most of us are indoctrinated into this world where uh, we're supposed to be with people, we're supposed to have follow the rules, we're supposed to have these regulations, and we don't spend enough time thinking on our own. And if all you do is take other people's views, and I could do this right now. So I could say, what do you think about X? I just pick X. The first thing that will come out of your mouth will not be your thought, but will be something you read or you heard. And we all do yep. it. Yep. And it's because, unless I'm lucky enough to pick something you've actually spent a lot of time thinking about. But most of us just, we gather information. We heard, oh, I like that. Okay, I remember that. And that's what you spit out. And what we should really do is the opposite. What we should really do, uh, and there's a book about this called Belief, that humans form beliefs the wrong way. Yep. We're given them. Right? Our parents give us beliefs on religion, mm. on culture, on friends, on political parties, on whatever it is. And we never step back and say, well, do I believe that? Start questioning it. And so yeah. the, way, the way the belief works is you're given your belief and you reject any data that counteracts that belief. No. What you should do is take all the data, mm. then see what makes sense, form a belief, and then reject and, it's, and that's another thing that's a problem with Twitter and other social media today is the algorithms now are feeding us only what we like or believe. You're like, no, no, no. The best people seek alternative views. Mm -hmm. So I will actually follow people that I know I'm not going to agree with mm -hmm. just so I can listen to their crate notes. <laughs> <laughs> because they might be right, right? Yes. I mean, I, I'm not always right for, for sure, mm -hmm. but... Even ideologically, I want to hear the other side. Yeah. As crazy as I might think it, and as I said, the crazier the idea at the time, the better the idea. Mm. Um, in fact, it's funny, when I was at, at Carolina, we used to keep track. So we had virtual discretion. And that meant, you know, 95% of what we recommended, the board would approve. But the 5% they didn't approve did way better than everything else. <laughs> now, that wasn't because we were smart and they were dumb. In fact, just the opposite. It was... That 5% was just so crazy at the time that they as a group couldn't make the decision. And that's one of the things um, in the, the Dow Jones averages. And, and also, again, the best two pages ever written on investing is called Group Stink by Barton <laughs> Biggs. And it, tells, it says why groups can't make good decisions and why... The, the old saying of investment committee should be made up of an odd number of members and three is too many. <laughs> so one is always the better decision maker because a group will dumb down the decision. Like if I say to the group at lunch day, what's the best place to go have lunch in Seattle? I'll get McDonald's. If I ask anyone individually, I'll get awesome answers. I'll get a great Korean barbecue. I'll get a great you know sushi. But in a group, well, they might not like Korean barbecue. They might not like sushi. So I'm going to say American. Well, just McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And so the group dumbs it down. And that's why those 
really great ideas, whether it be evolutionary technology like the internet, which everybody feared and very few people invested in Amazon, very few people invested in Google, very few people invested, you know, because the, the, the glitterati, Paul Krugman, was telling people it will never be more important than the fax machine. Or the mobile phone, right? Uh, why would anybody want a mobile phone? Why would anybody want a supercomputer in their hand? And now they're attached to our hand. We get carpal tunnel syndrome from them. So, and same thing with blockchain. Is well, I don't need blockchain. It's just a slow, dumb database, right? But it's one database, right? Now there are seven databases that are used and have to sync up to settle a stock transaction. That's right. why it takes two days. Right. It should take two seconds. Literally, it should take two seconds. It's done. And that's what blockchain will do. And one of our biggest investments in our fund that's going to be a monster multi-billion company is a company that says when you originate loans, there's seven different people with their hands out charging you 8%. He's got it down to one person charging five. It's really good for us. <laughs> We're going to make 5% instead of one piece of eight. And people are going to get better deals because they're going to pay five instead of eight. Better. Can you and say so what the name of that company is? It's called Figure. Figure, okay. Um, not heard fantastic of it. company, and uh, it's. it's they got a big... funny spelling or something like nope, that. No, nope, okay. just figure. Just figure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. And uh, they make home equity lines of credit on the blockchain, um, and they're eventually going to originate mortgages on the blockchain. So uh, the comment about uh, blockchain being uh, slow and dumb. Yeah. So that's the same observation that Alex Mashinsky made. So he uh, he's yeah. said this multiple times, but uh, uh, you know he said I was there like getting pitched by the Google guys. And I'm like, this is dumb. There's so many other search engines, and they're already got so much lead ahead time of it. And he passed. So shows how smart he is. Then he says, uh, I saw Bitcoin, and I said, uh, I'm technical. I can see all the merits of it. This is, like, slow and dumb. I'll mm -hmm. pass. Yeah. Well, now he's got a massive startup, you know, Celsius Network, yeah. where he's doing yeah. all kinds of work in it now. And, you know, well, at least he's <laughs> and he admitted his, yeah, he admitted he's, his yeah, mistake. Hey, yeah. if you can admit your mistake and, and move on, that's great. Um, there are plenty of people who never do, and they just they right. just keep missing. Krugman's one of them. You know, Peter Schiff's probably another one. There are lots of these guys, and look, it's not that they're bad people. It's just they have such a vested interest in the status quo. Right. And if you're one of the elites and you benefit from the current system, if you're a banker... Right. Or, you know, you're Warren Buffett and 46% of Berkshire Hathaway's financial services companies. Right. Yeah, you don't want this to work yeah. because it threatens your livelihood. Now, you know, probably doesn't threaten his livelihood at all. But the reality is over time, um, new technology is, is going to march on, right? It's just it's the nature of the beast. And smart people are going to migrate to places where they can create really big ideas and create substantial pools of wealth. And right now, I said it's the only second time in my career, uh, and I got gray hair to prove I've been around enough time to see it, that second time I've seen this level of talent migrate mm -hmm. in one area. And in two things in investing, follow money and follow mm -hmm. the talent. Right. And money tends to go where there's opportunity. Not always. People, you know. Theranos, bad, bad investment. Oh, yeah. But not everybody's great, right? Not all women are good investors. But, um, but uh, you know, she was just a scammer. But um, she's like Madoff. He wasn't a hedge fund manager. Exactly. Or they call him a hedge fund manager. There's no hedge and no fund. Yeah. He's just a bad guy. Just yeah. an evil guy. Yeah. But um, they're all, wherever there's money, there'll be scammers. Mm -hmm. And there are some scammers in crypto. There are. Oh, but it's absolutely. only like 10%, right? Yeah. I mean, there's 90% of the stuff is really good some of it, like all these utility tokens, they're just pre-seed stage venture capital. Yeah. That's a 95% loss ratio. That's yeah. not surprising. 
Mm-hmm. Right? If I did a pre-seed stage venture capital fund, I would expect 9 out of 10 to go to zero. But that one might be a hunter-bagger. Right? Mm-hmm. But that's the risk of pre-seed. Then you go to seed. A little less risk. Maybe 6 out of 10 go to zero. And then I do later stage. Maybe only 2 out of 10 go to zero. Mm-hmm. And then if I get to late stage, really late stage, hopefully they all go well. But I don't make as much money. I make two times or one and a half times. Right. Mm-hmm. And pay somebody a lot of fees. But risk is what we all exist for. Right? Mm-hmm. We are paid to take intelligent risk. That's what investing is. Mm-hmm. And we have to choose what kind of risk we want to take. We can take credit risk. We can take equity risk. We can take innovation risk. We can take liquidity risk. We can take leverage risk. Uh, there are lots of things that we can do. But at the end, you pick where you have your edge. Do you have an analytical edge? Do you have a network edge? Do you have a systems edge? Do you have a... Most people don't have this, but some do. Do you have an edge in, you know, getting out ahead of trends? Uh, you know, my favorite story, my very first meeting I ever took uh, with a wealthy client uh, when we were starting Morgan Creek was down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Met this guy, who's worth $300 million, walks in, little bow tie, 80-plus-year-old guy, Aww. and we're sitting down chatting, and he's interviewing us, and said, well, sir, you know, tell us how, how you made your fortune. And he says, well, you see that map on the wall? And pointed this this map and had these little bullseye circles. He said, well, I just kind of sit back and figure out the path of progress, and then I buy land one circle out, and I wait. Uh, And we went, that's it? (laughs) He said, yeah, that's it. And I said, wow, patience is a virtue, and you have to be able to see the path of progress. But again, he didn't say, boy, I'm going to invent something new, be a big entrepreneur. I'm just going to see where the activity is. I'm going to follow the money. I'm going to follow the talent. And then I'm going to get ahead of it, and I'm going to be patient. And the same thing's true here, is if, if so many people are spending time on Bitcoin, there's probably information content there. If everyone starts spending their time on Bitcoin cash, which they probably won't, but if they did, there'd be information content. <laughs> or Ether versus uh, Ethereum versus uh, EOS. Where's the time? Where's the people? Where's the talent? And that's the easiest way to figure out where that path of progress is going to be. And then it's about patience. And then what's really cool about now is we talked about this earlier today is, is the internet. Think about how big the internet is. Think how much wealth has been created, but it was small because it was being built on crappy technology. Yeah. Client service technology. 2,400 baud modems. modems. I mean, the first T1 line was like mana from heaven. And it was like $10,000 a year. And, crazy <laughs> and then we got to the mobile net and you know the first feature phone and we have the scholarship at, at Notre Dame and we try to attract kids from uh, all over the world to come to Notre Dame who wouldn't otherwise go and we have this relationship with the school in Africa mm-hmm. and they they get the best kids from each country in Africa and one of our students was from Zimbabwe she typed a 17 page essay on a feature phone oh my god no typos no nothing she took a 23 hour bus ride for the interview did the hour interview and then took a 23 hour bus ride home holy cow that woman came to Notre Dame great experience doing great things I mean that's what's out there but a feature phone Mm. not a smartphone not a computer right in Zimbabwe and in the interview I asked her I said you know your country this is an unfair question I said you know your country just went through a massive hyperinflation I don't really understand how it happens you know do you have any thoughts she says well I have a four point plan to fix it what (laughs) like what (laughs) He says, yeah, this, you do this, this, and this, and, you know, the, the, uh, wow, you should be president right now. <laughs> and uh, she, maybe she will be. But, you know, there's that capability out there, and 
given the opportunity, uh, which she was by African Leadership Academy and then and then by our program, you know, she's the genius, right? She'll make make things happen. But my point there was simply that the feature phone was bad, but it was still better than what we had. Mm-hmm. And then the first iPhone. What does mm-hmm. everybody need an iPhone for? And that's right. a keyboard. And I'll, right. I'll, I said, I'll never have an iPhone because <laughs> I can't use that keyboard. And I kept my BlackBerry up until two years ago because yeah. I, I just love the tactile keyboard. I even tried to buy the new BlackBerry. The Key 1. The key I have one. the Key 1 and then now there's a Key 2. I had to give it back because I bought yeah. the Key 2 uh-huh. and it's top heavy. I kept dropping yeah. it yeah. because they tried to have the screen and the yep. keyboard, but you can't. You have to have a smaller form factor to have the keyboard. Yep. So I took it back and now I have this stupid <laughs> thing, which I hate. Did you buy the first iPhone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just follow what she does. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Eventually, I did buy that. Uh, right, uh, smartphones. Uh, I know we're kind of over on time. We're at two forty-five. How are you? I got a couple minutes. Okay. Do you have any to... dying questions? Well, um, uh, dying. just a quick last one would be: oh. I'm a big fan of William O'Neill, Investors mm-hmm. Business Daily. Mm-hmm. They got he's got his Canceling method. Yep. Quick thoughts on that? Uh, look. Uh, everyone says, can't make money looking at charts, can't draw, make money drawing squiggly lines on a page. Um, William O'Neill has a really big business. Right. Because you can. Right. Um, technical analysis works. Everyone's, it's like voodoo, right? Everyone says, oh, I don't right. believe in it. But you don't go in places where they have it because you're afraid. <laughs> or, you know, you don't believe in horoscopes. You don't believe in lucky numbers. Right. Or, you know, you, how many people don't step on the line to step on a crack, break a mama's back, etc. So we all have superstitions. <laughs> we all have these things. But... Technical analysis works. We know it works. And I'm a big fan of William O'Neill as well. And one of my favorite managers of all time, all he did was he got the packet on Sunday afternoon in the mm-hmm. mail. Sunday night, he would spend four hours looking visually at charts. That's the way I am. I just mm-hmm. look at charts. I, I've done a model on a company in 20 years. I have no interest in trying to guess, you know, are they going to increase sales by 1.6% or 1.8%. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I can tell behaviorally if people really like something by the way they're either accumulating stock or distributing the stock. And, and I don't trade stocks for a living, but, but I try to look at stocks from the standpoint of, of what industries, what sectors, what, in, you know, what things right. are, are moving. Right. Um, but I, so that's a long winded way of saying I, I like William O'Neill. I think, um, and, and the I fact re- that more people don't like him oh, that do yeah, yeah, is a good yeah. indicator of the value. Yeah, because um, when you get into it a lot more, I mean, it's about I think the ratio is seventy technical, thirty fundamental. Yeah. So it's not all just right. looking at pictures, right. kind of a right. thing. Right. And so um, you know, I, yeah, I've been a fan of uh, their work, and, and cool. you know, part of me I do have to take a step back and say, well, um, you know, it's the service. There yeah. is a service behind. There's yeah. a newspaper. There's digital service. The challenge with it. all these things, though, is is ubiquity. So there's this famous manager in Chicago, Richard Driehaus. And when he first started, he was the best. I mean, he crushed everybody. He was a small cap manager. And every one of his stocks looked like a hockey stick. Mm. And like, how do you do it? Well, he did two things. One, he paid brokers 10 cents a share instead of two. So he would get first call. Genius. Absolute genius. Just yeah. incent people to give you the first call. Sentence. But the second thing he did um, was... But the problem is that can be replicated, right? Other people could pay 10 cents and, or 11 cents, like Stevie Cohen, and get the first call. Um, or give bigger volume. So you're mm-hmm. paying two cents, they're giving bigger volume, they get the first call. But the second thing he did, which couldn't be replicated, was he was the first customer of NewsEdge before there was Bloomberg. And so mm-hmm. he would literally get information, not illegal information, but he would just get information ahead of other people who didn't want to pay for the service. Uh, 
And so yeah. when Zacks originally came out in Chicago, they were doing mm-hmm. earnings estimates. Earnings estimates actually worked because only certain people subscribed. That, yeah. And if you subscribed, you had an edge. Yeah. Yeah. First company I worked for called Discipline Investment Advisors. We were the first customer of CompuStat. And so we got the tape, and that was back in snail mail days. <laughs> snail mail days. We'd get the tape four days ahead of everybody else. Oh, wow. So we had four days yeah. to put on trades before everybody else got the tape. Mm-hmm. And so those edges go away. And so anything that has a paywall is going to have an edge, whereas things that are free, like now earnings estimates are everywhere. So the earnings mm-hmm. estimate doesn't really work. So right. now it's, an, it's a game. You know, I call it the, uh, the high jump game. You take the bar off the stand, you put it on the ground, you jump over, and you claim you're the high jump champion. Right. No. If you told me a year ago you're going to make a dollar, and then last week you told me you make eleven cent, 10 cents, and you made 11, that's not a win. That's not a beat. Exactly. You said yeah. you'd make a dollar, you made 11 cents. Right. No, last week I said 10. <laughs> right. But a year ago it was a dollar. And that's why I think the market is so overvalued right now in the equity world is earnings estimates are collapsing. Because economic activity is collapsing. And we're likely on the verge or maybe already in a shallow recession. And that has negative implications for lots of things. And the only thing that's kept the market up is the hope of lower interest rates allowing Mm. us to pay higher PEs. But that's illogical because a lower interest rate implies a lower growth rate in the future. So you should pay a lower PE today for lower growth. But that's not the way human beings work. (laughs) It's too much math. Too much math. Too much thinking. Um... I noticed you're wearing a bracelet. Yes, friendship bracelet, yeah. As you explain that, could I look at your hands? Sure, <laughs> sure. She's got a lot of uh, beliefs So, all right, so the uh, hands. Well, no, I'll tell you a funny story about but the hands. <laughs> so um, my friendship bracelet is from my, my eight-year-old. So he goes to a uh, bilingual school in Spanish. So hmm. really cool thing. So my wife um, stayed home with the first two. And she then uh, ran something called Meals on Wheels. Mm-hmm. It's a charity that delivers you know, meals. And she wanted to keep doing it. So we had to get a babysitter. So we got a babysitter. And the babysitter was from Argentina. So she's spoken solamente espanol to Will since he was five weeks old. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So he's bilingual. And so I'll mm-hmm. say to him all the time, I'll say, I'll say Will, you know, um, cuantos? I'll say three. I'm like, no, no, en espanol. He's like, Dad, you don't speak Spanish. Like ouch, okay, truth. <laughs> but but he made this friendship bracelet at their uh, carnival. But the other funny story is, in order to keep up with him, I use Google Translate. And so one night we're practicing, and I'll, I'll speak into Google Translate, and I'll say, okay, what did we have for dinner? And I'll spit out the Spanish. I'll make him repeat the Spanish. And so I said into Google Translate, when I grow up, I want to be a fireman. He said, No, Dad, I want your job. I want to be the head of Morgan Creek. And I said, Okay, okay, so. What we try to do is we try to buy things before other people uh, really understand them. So what would you buy? And he said, computers with holograms. I'm like, oh, I'm done. I'm retired. You're the boss. <laughs> yeah. Where did that come from? Holy cow. I mean, off the top of his head, eight years old, computers with holograms. Holy well, because he had seen in one of these TV shows, so TV's not evil, TV shows, a computer with a hologram. He's like, that's cool. That's coming. I was like, Wow. So just the other day this weekend, we're, we're out at the putt-putt, and uh, he says, you know, Dad, I, I definitely, I'm either going to be a fireman or the boss of Morgan Creek. <laughs> and uh, like, okay. Give me both. I think weekend both. fireman. Yeah, weekend fireman. Exactly. All right. So the, what, the funny, story about, no, funny story about my hands before you tell me what you're <laughs> is, so when I was 22, first job, um, got to go to my first conference in New Orleans, and 
I'm totally into all the superstition stuff and conspiracy theories. So I went to a palm reader and a tarot card reader. Ooh. And the palm reader was totally freaky. So the first thing she said is, she says, you have healing hands. I'm like, what does that mean? She says, well, you have little crosses in the middle of your hands, so you're going to be a doctor. I'm like, well, that's actually what I was going to study, so that's kind of interesting. And I did study up until senior year. I decided not to go to med school, but I did spend two summers doing emergency department work. Um, second thing mm-hmm. she told me, you said, when you were 18 years old, you were very sick. I'm like, whoa. And I actually, I wasn't sick, sick like a disease, but they thought I had an aneurysm, so I had to have tests, and it turns mm. out I didn't, thankfully, and I was fine, but I was very sick and in the hospital, and so she was right. Third thing, which was crazy, crazy, I said, you're going to have three kids. So, you know, I go off, and we have the first two, we have two kids, and... And then we stopped, and I'm like, ha, ah, she was wrong. Then we had a third kid. <laughs> so she was spot on. So two see girls, how... one boy. Two boys, one girl. Two boys, one girl. Yeah. Oh, you read the other way, huh? <laughs> All right. That's pretty cool, but I you can see one three. Boy. Yeah, there's definitely three. Oh, that's so cool. And you actually, are you right-handed? I am. Yeah, so you end up with more kids than you were actually supposed to have. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so you're supposed to have only one, and you end up with three. It says two girls and one boy, but it's That a, is so cool. Yeah. So maybe one boy is a little more feminine energy than the Interesting. other. Interesting. It's certainly possible. I mean, he's, <laughs> I only eight. he's only eight, so he, you know, he definitely... He is definitely more whole-brained. Hmm. Um, um, that's very interesting. Cool. And then you, you have the M, so those that uh, have a lot of wealth... Uh, have the M. Oh. So you have the M on both hands, but you had a little bit of a midlife trouble somewhere. <laughs> Who doesn't Either have the... midlife oh, troubles? Oh, amen. And I did. <laughs> oh, did. boy. So, and it was a very significant one. It's on both sides. But you have very good health. You're wow. like naturally uh, destined for good health. Wow. But that, that, that is amazing because I did... And I say it's a story for another day and it requires alcohol. <laughs> um, we like that I, stuff. <laughs> I did make uh, two bad decisions with partners. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned a couple things. One, greed changes people. Mm-hmm. When we were not successful, everyone did their job. When yes. we became successful, people got greedy and mm-hmm. bad things happened. So that is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, I also learned a valuable lesson that um, uh, you should be more thoughtful on the front end when you're thinking about partnering mm-hmm. you know like you would if you're going into a relationship um like a marriage but uh, <laughs> yeah but uh yeah that's pretty good i like it and uh good stuff it's good stuff i like the health part because health is wealth mm-hmm. bring it all back to where we started and then uh i don't know if i um in terms of like blockchain world and investments yep is there a type of blockchain technology application protocol Something in the world of blockchain that has not yet been built that you'd oh. like to be seen built. Oh, yeah. What do you want? Oh, my gosh. What do you want? Yeah, wow. That's a great question. Um, there's so many things. I mean, look, we're, we're still so far away from dApps, you know, decentralized yeah, so, apps. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's yeah. the big argument, oh, there's no demand. Oh, there's demand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would, lo- well, look, I would love uh, anything where... You know, I control and I get compensated for my data, right? Okay. I mean, you think about it, and it's starting already, right? I mean, if you contribute to a community, you should get rewarded. There's a, there's a new DAP being created that we met with that if you contribute to the community, mm-hmm. you get paid. And what I like about the way they're doing it is right now you think about it like on Medium, you know, the claps and stuff. Yeah. Um, everyone's claps are the same. Mm-hmm. 
but that shouldn't be the case, mm-hmm. right? If if I write something about health and you're a nutritionist, your clap should be magnified, right. and his clap should you know get negative, value, <laughs> you know, because he's eating pork rinds. But uh, Which I love. I'm, just I'm just kidding. But but it's it's people with knowledge should have should have higher standing in the community, and then so so I, I think that that's one area where I'd like to see it built. Okay. Uh, I do think um, provenance is. Obviously, a lot of people thought about that and, you know, the, the projects at like Walmart and others, you know, the idea that lettuce is contaminated so you throw out all the lettuce is silly, mm-hmm. right? We should know where every head of lettuce is from, just which farm, and just, you know, get rid of that. So that's clearly blockchain. You know, actually, I, I, I got approached by, it was a total scam, but it was a good <laughs> idea. This uh, Canadian company, and they were going to call themselves Cobalt Blockchain. I'm like, well, why? And they said, well, you know, we're going to try to get conflict-free cobalt, and we're going to use blockchain to show the provenance. I'm like, okay, that's actually a good use case, fine. Well, how much cobalt do you have? Well, I don't have any. Well, how are you going to get it? Well, we know some people in the Democratic Republic. I'm like, oh, just stop. So basically you did a Google search for the two words that were the highest, and you just are going to rename your company Cobalt Blockchain. So it did a pump and dump. and oh, but, but the idea of conflict-free, whether it's diamonds or minerals or, or products, using blockchain is interesting. So I think that's mm-hmm. an application. Um, I, I do think payments is, is one where mm. uh, we need to get those second-layer and third-layer technologies that, that allow us to have speed and volume. Security. Uh, yeah. Along with security. Because yeah. what gets appended to the ultimate core blockchain, whichever one that is, doesn't have to be fast. Right? Mm-hmm. We can do a lot of stuff right. uh, in the other layers. Um, what else would I like to see? You know, I, I, I think I would like to see um, really anything to do with ownership. So security tokenization uh, to me is, is a must, and it's coming, and I wish it would come faster, but there are a lot of people that don't want it to come fast, so yeah. a lot of ingrained mm-hmm. interest. But I do think that that... Um, use case is is fantastic. I mean, I think I talked about it today at lunch. Is you think about the Plaza Hotel? Mm-hmm. If you could fractionalize ownership did of the Plaza the Hotel, ICR? they did. They talked they did. about it, and you know, we talked to them about yeah, it, and but it just it. never got around to, to getting done. Yeah. And um, but I do think you know, there's one hotel that got done small scale. Um, we talked to a family in London about doing this big market in. Um, uh, one of the big squares out there. It'd be awesome, right? Because just the peninsula guys. Yes. To do yeah, yeah, yeah. Peninsula. Yeah. yeah. They were yeah. just visiting. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Well, and another thing that, that uh, again, topic for another day, but you guys probably have, have more insights into it. You know, what I love about blockchain is that it's global. And, you know, it really has its roots a lot in Korea, you know, which continues to be voted the most innovative country. And, <laughs> You, know, you go there and it's just fantastic. I was just there a couple months ago, and then mm-hmm. you got the Chinese influence and what's going on there, and you got the Russian influence, and mm-hmm. you got South American influence, and people are so American centric, and we have this American exceptionalism. It's all about America. Well, America is a small percentage of overall volumes and overall uses, and and I what I'd love to see, not related to tech, but related to regulation, is I'd love to see the U.S. regulators wake yes. up and say, you know, we could capture the dominant position, mm-hmm. or we can push it away. Yes. And right now we're pushing it away. I know. And that makes no sense. No sense at all. And there are a few people in Washington 
with intelligence that we've seen, but there are a whole bunch without intelligence. And, you know, instead of fighting Zuckerberg and Libra, how about saying, well, how could we work together to make this work? Because if, if we had a payment rail that 2 billion people around the world is controlled by a U.S. company with big. the blessing and background of the regulators in the U.S., that would be better yes. than having it go rogue. And right. if he doesn't do it, China's already said, well, we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they have all the tech and all the... It's the, like the joke from Argo. Um, Sir, this is the best bad idea that we have for you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, Please improve and, it. No, and, on, and on that note, you know, uh, what we're all playing in today, you know, blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and, and other, other use cases, it, it is the best idea of our age is the best opportunity of our age. It's it's the most fun. It's the most fun people's talent, migration, uh, great ideas, and this natural evolution, this financial evolution, this Darwinian evolution of technology, it's not going to stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can fight it, right? And countries have tried to fight it, and they end up losing. And the difference today versus in the past is, what we talked about earlier, is this centralized versus decentralized. Centralized hierarchical organizations are easy to kill mm-hmm. decentralized or not mm-hmm. and so the more exactly. decentralized the more global the more borderless mm-hmm. and look i love the fact that we live in a world that is less bordered and less colored you know we, we watched um remember the titans with my eight-year-old the other night mm. and he's it was awesome because he's saying well why did they treat them that way and mm. to him black mm. white yellow, brown, red, it's all the same. Because mm-hmm. he goes to a foreign language school where he's a minority. And so he doesn't see it. And that was kind of an interesting story having to explain. Well, back then it was a little different. And, you know, there's all kinds of stories on, you know, Asian culture and this coast and, right. you know, all kinds of stuff. So, but it, the world now is is different. And um, there's more acceptance, there's more integration, there's more collaboration, there's less intolerance. Now, the leadership around the world, unfortunately, is going the opposite way, going to more nationalism, more protectionism, right. more mm-hmm. mine, less us. Yeah. That's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, I live in, uh, seems like um, location central for the bad Americans, you know, with the send her back <laughs> chance and the... Uh, using the bad language to label African-American people. So I, I, there's some scary parts to the South still, and um, we got a lot of work to do. But uh, all of what we're working in and talking about helps break down those barriers and make it better. Hmm. I have an idea that I've been percolating on. I haven't done it yet, um, but I'm thinking about. Yeah. So I would love your just conceptually messaging um, it doesn't really, the messaging layer does not exist in the world of blockchain yet, from what I can tell. Like, if I wanted to send out a yes. message yeah. to all the Bitcoin wallets, there's no way to do that today. But what if there was a way 
Maybe there is. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't think of it, but I think it's interesting. Maybe and I'm trying from to somebody. Th- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, the idea is sort of like a decentralized yes. peer-to-peer and also one-to-many uh, communication mm-hmm. um, that would still, that would replicate the experience of like Signal. So, you yeah. know, for all the Bitcoin holders that want to be anonymous and secure yeah. and private, you could still um, capture that experience. Yeah. But the ability to communicate does not exist today. So then, um, you know, like in the ICO days, we're stuck to Telegram or Discord yeah. or Slack yeah, yeah, for yeah. communication, but it's really not a good way to met, talk to, build community. Absolutely, no. I think it's very interesting, and and uh, in a in a smaller scale, in just fintech and just financial worlds like Bloomberg Messenger, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all the users of the terminal had this advantage of being able to talk to each other. Yeah, but the the communities are what drive. Um, network adoption and drive wealth effect. So right. I like it. Hmm. Okay. All right. Let's work well, on it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mark. No, it's right. fun. Thanks, Anything guys. Anything else? Anything else, sir? No. Big fan. <laughs> oh, Thank you. Can we take a yeah. photo, too? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Let's close it out. Hi all, this is Goldbug from Berkeley by way of Charlotte. None of the statements or opinions expressed in this podcast by the guest or its host is to be taken as financial or legal or psychological or dietary advice or a solicitation of any kind to participate in a conservative or risky or speculative financial instrument that may or may not require accredited investor status as defined by either the Securities and Exchange Commission or the Commodity Future Trading Commission of the United States of America or independent thought and rational thinking from the laws of humanity. By listening, you acknowledge that host Arian Day and their guests are not financial advisors or legal scholars or psychologists or dietitians of any kind, but only humans and not sentient intergalactic alien life forms. There shall be no reliance by listeners to the representations made in this podcast as being factual fiduciary or any other big vocabulary word you can think of. All statements made in this podcast by any living or dead or unborn or zombie or robotic entity in the past, present, or future of the space-time continuum of the known universe are purely ironic or coincidental thoughts and opinions. Moments of sarcasm, sadness, education, glee, entertainment, or any other emotion found in this podcast are fully your responsibility and reaction that may or may not be intended for the listener in any way, shape, or form. This podcast contains adult information. Discretion is strongly advised. Thank you for listening. On your mark, give a trace. One, two, three, let's blaze and buckle your seatbelt. Undone the sea and blaze and saving the day. Bounce, bounce, bounce. Give me, give me, give me some speed. Listen the monster machine, Salis. Listen the monster machine, Salis. Please.